We are honored and pleased to have uh, Mel and Shadow Pupil with us for this great Bible class. Brother Frank, thank you, Jeremy, for the uh, song leading. Appreciate that very, very much. To uh, young Brother James for reading to us out loud from the Word of God, an outstanding job. And Brother Shelton for the introductions and announcements a little bit ago. We've got a good number here, and I'm honored to be with you. I'm honored by your being here, and I believe that God is honored by our being here to worship Him in spirit uh, and in truth. I hope your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 2. Invite you to do so. Acts chapter 2. We'll pretty much be camping out there for the majority of our sermon this morning. But as we lead into that, let me uh, invite you after you mark Acts chapter 2 to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. From Acts chapter 2 to Hebrews chapter 4. Not related to the sermon, but uh, uh, connected with our prayer a moment ago that Brother Frank led us in. Appreciate that, Brother Frank. And again, thank you for inviting us to join you on this Lord's Day and to have a part in your spring gospel meeting. Our prayer a moment ago by Brother Frank, on behalf of all of us, uh, reminded us of God's grace and His mercy and of our coming before His very throne of grace. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is a wonderful verse, is it not? One more time. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Why, Hebrew writer? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brother Frank, years ago I heard a preacher, actually a denominational preacher, say about grace and mercy that they're interconnected. They, they have similarities and yet they have differences. And that's important to remember. We all know about grace, charis, unmerited favor, getting what we do not deserve. But do we think about mercy? And mercy is not getting what we do deserve. That's what this individual said. Think about that. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And I am grateful, brethren, I'm grateful for both God's grace and His mercy. I am in need of them both. Grace, again, final time, getting what we do not deserve. The uh, ever-familiar, unmerited favor indeed. And mercy, mercy, not getting what we do deserve. Let that sink in. Let that soak in. I think that's a correct thought. And pull it all together 
as the Hebrew writer did so perfectly in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Our theme is before you, the church we ought to be by way of introduction. Let me remind you of this, who we are and what we are is not necessarily who we ought to be and what we ought to be. And I say that to our possible shame. I want to repeat that one more time. Who we are and what we are is not necessarily who we ought to be and what we ought to be. And if that is the case, then we ought to bear a little shame in the matter. But I am convinced, I believe with all my heart, that if we will be who God would have us to be, and what God would have us to be, we can be the church we ought to be, and then we can do what the church ought to do. But before we can do what the church ought to do, we must be the church we ought to be. And so I know we go to Acts chapter 2 a lot. You will never hear me apologize for that. I don't think we can preach enough or teach enough from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to take you there again this morning. I want to put before you five or six points, depending upon the time that we have. We'll put an amen to it, and the sermon will be yours. Again, our theme of the hour, the church we ought to be. What is that church? What would that congregation, what would that ecclesia, what would that assembly, what would that church look like? What should it be? What ought we to be? Point number one, my brethren and my friends, the church we ought to be is the devoted church. The church we ought to be is the devoted church. And I mean by that, devoted to the Word of God and the worship of God. Think with me, Acts chapter 2, we're at verse 42. I'm quoting from the old King James, you follow along in your translation. Here's what Luke recorded in the long ago. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and in prayers, plural, prayers. And they continued, some translations have, devoting themselves to what? The apostles' doctrine and to fellowship and the breaking of the bread, as you know, an allusion to the Lord's Supper and to prayers. That is the devoted church, my brethren and my friends. Devoted to the Word of God and to the worship of God. The Word of God thought is brought out, as you well know, you see it before you, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is the equivalent of the doctrine of Christ. Second John verse 9, you know the reference, whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Second John 9, connected hard to Acts 2 and verse 42. The church we ought to be is the devoted church, devoted to the Word of God, devoted to the Apostles' doctrine, devoted to the doctrine of Christ. I will mention tonight, as I alluded to a moment ago at Shades Mountain at the 5 p.m. worship there with our brethren, I will mention that our words doctrine and teaching and some translations, like the King James use both, and others uh, use just one exclusively, but doctrine and teaching are both from two Greek words, didache and didaskalia. Didache and didaskalia. And those words mean just that, doctrine. 
teaching, instruction, and our doctrine matters. I'm telling you what you already know. Our teaching matters. Brother Shelton, what we receive as instruction and what we give, what we offer, Brother Jesse, as instruction matters. It mattered 2,000 years ago, and it matters today. I know you get that, I get that, but there are others who don't. And so we want to lovingly and kindly, yet boldly and directly, invite them to be the church they ought to be. The church that we believe we are, devoted to the Word of God and to the worship of God. In that little verse, there are no fewer than three actions of worship mentioned there. Some would say four, but no fewer than three right there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The church we ought to be is the devoted church. I don't know where I picked this up. Brother Frank, I, I heard it somewhere, one of those things you, you can't uh, source it because you just don't remember where you heard it or where you read it. But I believe it and I'll repeat it as I remember it from decades ago. The on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again status of so many Christians is killing the church. And, and, and that's just the way it is. I hate to say that, but it's true. On again, like a, like a, a light switch. On, off, on, off. You know, uh, when our girls were little, and now our granddaughters. I didn't realize it bugged me until the granddaughters start doing it. You know, I get that switch. Please, sweetheart, get your finger off that thing. Yeah, on again, off again, on again. And, and they, they mean nothing by it. It's so cute. And yet you got you to gotta instruct them. You can't just turn the lights on and off, on and off. And if my dad were here, you know, he'd prefer the lights to be off because if they're on, it's running up the bill. You walked out of a room, you turned the light off at the Edwin Byron Francis Ann household or you got in trouble. Went to the white bathroom. That's where when you misbehaved or at the... At the dinner table, you went to the white bathroom, the little half bath, and sat there until everybody finished, and then you could have your meal. My parents are loving Christians, but we had discipline in our household. So, all of that, long way around the barn, back to the on-again, off-again status that's killing the church. The church, as you well know, is not a club that we can join and be active for a semester or two, and then go to the elders or the men of the congregation and say, you know, uh, Frank, you know what, we're going to go inactive for a quarter or two quarters here. Wanted to let you know we're not going to be giving, we're not going to be attending. We may pop in when we pop in. We, we may not contribute as we're prospered. We're going to go inactive. Now, I was a student at Harding College, and they had clubs. And I joined one. I didn't like it. And so I was active for one year and inactive the rest of the time. I just didn't care for it. I could attend what I wanted to on a limited basis. I gave them a smaller fee. I didn't like how they were using my money anyway. I've always been conservative with my money. And so I could do that then. There's nothing, Jeremy, wrong with me doing that. Active, inactive. I had that choice. It was available to me. You can't do that in the church. The on again, off again status of so many Christians is killing the Lord's church. We've got to be devoted the church we ought to be is devoted to the Word of God and to the worship of God. Let's end point number one 
by reflecting upon Paul's language, the final verse of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What? Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is devotion first foremost and always, my brethren and my friends. Point number two, under the title of the church we ought to be. The church we ought to be is the reverent church. The reverent church. And by that I mean reverent toward God. I want to offer you my judgment. I will qualify it as my judgment. Feel free to disagree. But I believe we're living in very irreverent times. At 59... And I grew up in rural America. We lived three miles outside of little Pocahontas, Arkansas. I mean, rural America, the, the county has 17,000 people in it. There are about 7,000 of those that are in the city limits of Pocahontas. The population in the city and in the county was almost identical a uh, hundred years ago, literally, if it changed, it was because, Jeremy, more people moved out of the county into the city or then back out of the city into the county. But 17,000 people. We live in Bluff Park in Hoover. There's more than 17,000 people in Bluff Park. Uh, and so we grew up in rural America. And I grew up where you would not have thought about irreverence. It wouldn't have worked in our household. Absolutely. I mean, we were hardly allowed to joke at the table without going to the white bathroom. I don't want to, not, don't want to promote to you painting your bathroom, but it worked in my household for discipline. Go to that white bathroom. I, I like color now, I'll tell you what. I've had all the white bathrooms I want. All kidding aside, I grew up in very reverent times, as many or most of you did. But that is not where we are today. People use the name of God in the most irreverent ways and think nothing of it. Think nothing of it. And if you were to suggest to them, I would, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, you might get knocked upside the head. You might get asked to leave somewhere. You might be told that you've offended them and they need a little private space and a coloring book and a donut or whatever they're offering this week. That's what you, it's where we are. Do you remember the third of the Ten Commandments? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Reverence. You remember the beginning of the model prayer, Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Reverence. First, foremost, and always reverence. Psalm 29 and verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 34 and verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Reverence. Reverence, reverence. Now, where is our verse here? We'll take a quick gander at verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. There's our proof text in Acts chapter 2. Point 1, verse 42. Point 2, verse 43. And fear came upon every soul. The fear there is not terror, but reverential awe, Dennis. Reverential awe. And fear, reverential awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Reverence is needed now as never before. 
But if you and I, although our girls are grown, it doesn't change the truth that the duty was belonged to Shana and I while in the home. And if we don't do our duty, and we'll say more about these matters at the one o'clock hour when I preach under the title of God's family plan. But if we don't do our duty, then someone has to take up the slack in the school system or, or in government or somewhere in society. Someone has to take up the slack if they will. Reverence is lacking, but it's so desperately needed, my brethren and my friends. Point number three, the church we ought to be is the united church. The united church. And all that believed, verse 44, you see it, and all that believed were together and had all things common. And all that believed were together and had all things common. The church we ought to be is the united church. And this is not union. You know what I know, that there's a vast difference between union and true biblical unity. Let me tell you what you already know. Biblical unity can only be had through conformity to the truth. True biblical unity can only be had through conformity to the truth. You can have union on this point or that point, and never be accepting of the truth. People are united, if you will. They're united in an unbiblical fashion on all kinds of fronts. But true biblical unity, final time, true biblical unity can only be had through conformity to the truth. And thus the psalmist said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, for brothers, to dwell together in unity, Psalm 133 and verse 1. And why Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Now beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. True biblical unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Ephesians 4.3, Psalm 133 and verse 1. And why our Lord prayed, neither pray I for these alone. We're at John 17.20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone, but for all them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, John 17, 20 and 21. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The church we ought to be is the devoted church, verse 42. The reverent church, verse 43. And the united church, verse 44. Point number four, dear brethren. The church we ought to be is the benevolent church. The benevolent church. And by the benevolent church, we're not talking about what used to be popular in days gone by and called the social gospel, where religious groups forgot to denis their mission and the message that uh, made the mission possible and went off into an area undocumented in the word of God. Be that as it may, take a quick gander at verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. It's great to get 44 and 45 together and understand the United Church and the Benevolent Church go hand in hand. 
And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That is, that is an example of old-fashioned Bible benevolence. That is not an example of some form of communism. That is old-fashioned Bible benevolence. One will not see here any prohibition against the private ownership of property. Some of the folks that sold things here, Dennis, they still have possessions, they still have money at the end of chapter 4. Same folk that Luke is writing to. So no prohibition here against the private ownership of property. Not at all. But old, third and final time, old-fashioned Bible benevolence. The church we ought to be is the benevolent church. Uh, Dave, back to our friend and to me, a, a mentor uh, in my uh, maturing years as a preacher, uh, Brother Wayne Jackson, who draws on Matthew 5.16 and makes this comment. I don't know if it's in his commentary, uh, 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 the one-volume commentary, but somewhere he's written about Matthew 5.16 that benevolence can be and ought to be a form of evangelism. I think that's right. Benevolence can be and ought to be a form of evangelism. Matthew 5.16 says, uh, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Sometimes, sometimes we'll have to feed the body as we feed the soul. We have to be involved and engaged in, again, true biblical old-fashioned benevolence. May I remind you of these words from the lips of our Lord. Mark chapter 14 and verse 7. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me you have not always. Mark 14, 7. Brethren, I'm touched by that verse. 2,000 years ago, our Lord said, For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will. We have a choice in the matter. Whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you don't have always. So he's placing priority in the life of his disciples upon himself, and rightly so. He is the Savior. But the poor were there then, Jeremy, and they're here now. Conrad, there then, here now. We still have the poor with us 2,000 years later. And if we are the church we ought to be, we ought to be devoted to the Word of God and the worship of God. Reverent toward God. United as the people of God. And benevolent to the creation of God. I don't believe that we can do any less and be pleasing to our Lord. Those poor are still there. Remember Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are the household of faith. Preference toward our brethren, no doubt about it. What Shana and I cannot do, maybe if we get together with Frank and Cherry, the four of us could do. Or if we can't do that, then, then maybe Dave and Deb joining in, the six of us can do. And what the six of us can't do, maybe, maybe the Panama Street Church of Christ can do. Maybe collectively we can do more. And, and go farther and, and be what God would have us to be and do what God would have us to do and thus be the church that we ought to be by being devoted to the word and worship of God. By, again, being reverent toward God. Being reverent toward God in our language and our speech and in our worship. Something I didn't mention before. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. 
There is no place for indecency and out of order and irreverence in the worship of God. None whatsoever. United as a people of God and benevolent toward the creation of God. Indeed, my brethren and my friends. Point number five, dear brethren. Point number five, the church we ought to be is the hospitable church. The hospitable church. We're there again in Acts chapter 2, dear brethren. Acts chapter 2, take a quick gander down at just verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat, did eat their food with gladness and singleness of heart. Verse 46, the church we ought to be is the hospitable church. Now, admittedly, the Greek word translated uh, hospitality, philozenea, Philozenia, rather. Philozenia is not found in that verse, but I believe the concept is one of hospitality. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat, did eat their food with gladness and singleness of heart. Indeed, there's hospitality and fellowship all wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in the best way possible in that one little verse. Hospitality, as you well know, is one of the duplicated qualifications that a man must meet in order to serve as an elder in the local church. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. It's one of 16 qualifications found there. And it's found again, again duplicated, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 8, one of 15 qualifications found in Titus chapter 1. Uh, many brethren just see 14 in Titus uh, chapter 1. I, I believe verse 9 is the 15th qualification in Titus chapter 1. If that is right, if I'm correct, then 16 plus 15 is 31. Seven of those are duplicated. And so you call out the duplication and you get 24 qualifications that certainly have an interconnected uh, concept there. But you have 24 qualifications that men must meet in order to serve as elders in the local church. And one of those is what? Hospitality. A lover of hospitality, given to hospitality, given to hospitality, a lover of hospitality, but not limited, Jim, not limited just to men who would qualify to serve as elders. But you remember 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, 1 Peter 4 and 9. That's for all of us. So the church we ought to be is the hospitable church. Hospitable in the service of God. The devoted church, verse 42, devoted to the word of God and the worship of God. The reverent church, reverent toward God, verse 43. The united church, united as the people of God, verse 44. The benevolent church, benevolent to the creation of God, verse 45. And the hospitable church, hospitable. In the service of God, verse 46, point number 6, and finally this morning, dear brethren, the church we ought to be is the excited church. Verse 47. By excited, I don't mean pep rallies and pom-poms. Uh, not at all. There is a big denominational church in Birmingham that just a few short years ago advertised that they had purchased and erected in their building a slide. So anybody, not just the children, you could slide from the classroom wing into the auditorium. 
Now, I didn't go to clown college. I'm just a preacher of the gospel. Uh, I like a slide, I guess, about as much as anybody, but I don't know that I've been on a slide in like 45 years. Maybe longer. I'm not sliding into the auditorium. That's just not going to happen. Not going to happen here. Not going to happen at Shades Mountain. That's irreverent. Now, Jeremy, people want view that as exciting. We're sliding out of Bible class right into the auditorium. Praise God. Not me. That, that's not how I'm going to praise God. And not you either. Praising God, Acts 2.47, are you there? Praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those being saved. Indeed. That is the type of praise. Not pep rallies, not pom-poms, not clown college, not sliding out of the, uh, the classroom wing into the auditorium, but praising God and having favor with all the people. Brother friends, let me tell you what you already know. Knowledge of salvation is cause for rejoicing. Knowledge of salvation is cause for rejoicing. You see that on a part of the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And he, the pronoun he has its antecedent there in the eunuch. And he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because knowledge of salvation is cause for rejoicing. And so these brethren, the Jerusalem Church of Christ, they were doing what? Praising God, Jesse, and having favor with all the people. Excited about God. Excited about God. I have actually, no, no exaggeration here, no hyperbole here. I have heard older Christians who've been in the kingdom for many, many decades say about a new Christian, he's excited now, but you know, it'll wear off. Like they're giving the blessing to that. That can't be right. They're young. They're excited. It'll wear off. They'll be where we are. Uh, that just can't be right. That's not where I want to be. Not as a preacher. Not as a Christian. Not as a husband. Not as a father. Not as a grandfather. But especially as a Christian and a gospel preacher. I want to maintain legitimate biblical excitement about my God. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with might. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Oh yes, indeed. Indeed, not slothful in zeal. The King James has the word business, not a good translation there. Not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Romans 12 and verse 11. Let's not lose excitement about being a Christian. And that doesn't mean that we're always smiling. I found a long time ago, I just can't smile for long periods of time. I feel like I'm one of those people on the morning shows on television. And my teeth don't look like that anyway, so that's just not going to work for me. But I can be excited in a legitimate way, and you can too. I want to be exciting as a preacher and proclaim the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother Frank mentioned it in our prayer, the old Jerusalem gospel. Indeed. But why not be excited about it? Praising God and having favor with all the people. The church we ought to be, the devoted church, the reverent church, 
Indeed, the united church, the benevolent church, the hospitable church, and the excited church. We can be and ought to be all of that. And all of it's grounded in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. But it began with that little statement in verse 41. Then they that glad to receive his word were baptized, were immersed. And that same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It began there with their being baptized into Christ, putting on Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And then the devotion begins and the reverence continues. And they're united with others who have done the very same thing. And they understand that the poor are with us always and they want to be the benevolent people of God that God would have us to be. And they want to be hospitable, truly hospitable. They want to be given to hospitality and lovers of hospitality. And they never want to lose their excitement about being a Christian and the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our time is up. It's great to be with you. I'm honored by your presence. I believe, again, God is honored by our presence right here. And I invite you, if you need to, momentarily to come during our song, our, uh, our song here, Brother Jeremy, our number? 195. 195. Turn there. Lay down your Bibles. Pick up your songbooks. 195. Brother Jeremy will lead us in that selection, and the invitation will be yours. If you have not yet put Jesus on in baptism, I hope you'll do so. I hope you'll make that decision. Here's what you'll need to do. Come forward, if you will. Raise your hand where you are. But come repenting of your sins. Metanoia. A change of mind that leads to a, a cessation of the, of the sin and the evil in your life. And then uh, allow Brother Frank to take your hand in his. And he'll ask you the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? When you respond in the affirmative, Brother Frank or another of the Christian men here would be honored to immerse you in water for the full forgiveness of your sins. Again, you'll be raised to walk in newness of life, and you can take your part in your place with the Panama Church of Christ, the Panama Street Church of Christ, and you can work and worship here until you die or until the Lord comes again, whichever comes first. If you are a Christian and you desire to be restored to your first love, let us know. I'll be right over here. Frank will be right over there. Let us know right now as together we stand and as we sing. Why?
why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you? Thank you for that fine lesson. Uh, help us. We pray that we'll all uh, keep in mind what the church should look like and what the church should be doing. Thank you. Uh, we will have fellowship, our fellowship meal right after this. And uh, if you're a visitor, please come and join us. We'd like to uh, get to know you better. And then we will meet back in here for the 1 o'clock hour worship. And uh, after we sing number four, four, five, five, we'll be uh, led in our closing prayer, number four, five, five. And all three verses, please. All three verses. Here we are, but straying pilgrims, here our path is often dim. But to cheer us on our journey, still we sing this wayside hymn. Yonder over the rolling river, where the shining mansions rise, soon will be our home forever, and the smile of the blessed giver.
all our longing eyes. Here our feet are often weary on the hills that throng our way. Here the tempest darkly gathered, but our hearts within us say, Yonder over the rolling river, where the shining mansions lie, soon will be our home forever, and the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. Here our souls are often fearful of the pilgrim lurking foe, but the Lord is our defender, and he tells us we may know. Yonder over the rolling river, where the shining mansions rock, soon will be our home forever, and the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our